If you're a Pilates instructor looking to learn and grow using science-based tools, the Pilates Instructor VIP membership is for you. This is a continuing education resource that includes monthly workshops, weekly research reviews, programming support, full-on classes, and so much more. Okay, you can get your seven-day free trial right now with the link in the show notes. But without further ado, let's get on to this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast, your home for science-based information for the thriving Pilates instructor. What we're going to do today is we're going to be talking about runner's knee, okay? And we're going to talk about exactly about what runner's knee is, other names for it. Uh, we'll talk about signs and symptoms, of uh, runner's knee. We'll also talk about guideline-based uh, care, like what can we do for them? And then a little bit about like exercises that will be helpful for an individual with uh, runner's knee. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, dive on in. First of all, runner's knee goes by like 17 other names, which is like highly, highly inconvenient. Uh, <laughs> Um, in the in Google Scholar, like you'll even in Google Scholar, you actually find a lot of names for it. But one of the um, the most common names is called patellofemoral pain, right? Uh, or patellofemoral pain syndrome. But there's like a whole dialogue on is it a syndrome or not, uh, which I won't get into. But um, a sh like we love acronyms, right? In in science, because words are big. So um, patellofemoral pain or patellofemoral pain syndrome or is often called PFP or PFPS. So if anyone ever comes in with like a jargon term and they're like, I have patellofemoral pain syndrome, uh, it means they have runner's knee, right? A lot of times, especially if that's like too jargony, right? Um, a way to like go halfway into jargon is it's called, uh, it's also called anterior knee pain. And that's actually a really good description, right? Because it, it's on the anterior side of the of the knee, right? Hence why it's called patellofemoral pain, because it's by the patella. So a uh, runner's knee is called patellofemoral pain syndrome, patellofemoral pain, or anterior knee pain. Don't worry, there's more names, right? I'll share one more with you. It's also called moviegoer's knee, because uh, it's actually, it can be symptomatic when you're just kind of sitting and staying there. Right, like someone with a really painful knee that can't sit for long periods of time, uh, like don't give me the middle seat in the twelve-hour, you know, airplane ride. Um, that that would be um, an individual with runner's knee. Um, so I will do my best to not have my wires crossed and continue to call this condition runner's knee for our time together. But if uh, for some reason my wires get crossed and I say anterior knee pain or something like that, I mean runner's knee. Okay, I'm just human. Forgive me. All right, so so runner's knee is a condition of the the knee, right? And our the human knee has two joints. Okay, don't worry, it's like superficial anatomy. We're not getting too, too nerdy. I promise, we're not talking about blood supply or innervation or anything. So, um, with that, okay, the the human knee has two joints. One is called your tibiofemoral joint, and the other one is called your patellofemoral joint. And if you break down those words, it tells you what it is. Or like where it is or what the bones are that make up that joint. Your tibiofemoral joint is between your tibia and your femur. Yeah? 
So that is your tibia femoral joint. If someone just says the knee joint, right, and you had to choose which one they're talking about, they're probably talking about the tibia femoral joint. Okay. Now, your patellofemoral joint is the is the space between the patella and the uh, and the femur. Okay, patellofemoral joint, patella, and the femur. Okay, that's just where the the uh, the patella slides in the trochlear groove. Okay, it's where the the patella meets the femur, and and for a runner's knee, it's also called patellofemoral pain, right? So this is a condition that is thought to be more involved in the patellofemoral joint, okay? That means like your kneecap and stuff, like around the kneecap. So, so like it, it tends to be more superficial than like deep in the joint. So it's, this isn't like a deep achy pain in the knee, like deep in there, it's more superficial because your, your patellofemoral joint is more superficial. Now, what's cool about the knee is like when it's like, oh, let's um, strengthen the knee, because that's going to be good for this condition, by the way. Um, you, you just kind of do anything for the leg, right? You can like, you, okay, there are tons of muscles that cross the knee. You have all four quadriceps that cross the knee, right? Quadriceps means four heads. Quadriceps. So seps means head. And quad means four, four heads. Um, I won't bore you with all the names if that if you're okay with that. Um, but you do have four quadriceps that cross the knee. Okay, they all funnel into what's called a common tendon. So your patella, your your quadriceps tendon, and it goes into your patella tendon. It crosses the knee. Um, that tendon actually is it creates. Um, it it ends up um, how do you say like going over the kneecap the patella because the patella is what's called a sesamoid joint it's embedded by the quadriceps uh, tendon so over the quadriceps over the patella is the quadriceps tendon so you can tell like that's gonna have that's gonna play a big role um in the patella or anything with the knee then there's other muscles like your sartorius your gracilis um all of your hamstrings like they all cross the knees even your freaking calf muscle crosses the knee your gastrocnemius yeah that one the medial and lateral heads are we getting googly-eyed? There's a lot of muscles that cross your knee. And then, oh, crap, the IT band crosses your knee. You know what's attached to your IT band? Your glute maximus, your tensor fascia lata, and some sources even say your gluteus medius. So why not throw that in there? So even you can even hypothesize that strengthening the hip could have a direct relationship on the knee because your IT band, uh, it... it not only attaches uh, below the knee, so it crosses the knee, but it also shares common fibers with other um, tissues that cross the knee. Okay? Um, around the knee, you also have other tissues like retinaculum, you have tons of ligaments and things of that nature. In other words, the knee uh, can get complicated. Okay? But what's cool about it, when you zoom out, like your 10,000 foot view, uh, you can just strengthen the leg and like you'll strengthen the knee. Because okay, it's like, oh, this exercise is good for my hamstrings. Good, they cross the knee. Oh, this is a good quadriceps exercise. Yeah, that crosses the knee. Oh, my inner thighs. Oh, you mean your sartorius or your gracilis? Yeah, that crosses the knee. Oh, this butt exercise. Oh, you mean for your glute maximus or your glute medius? Oh, good. That's attached to your IT band. That crosses the knee. So um, <laughs> even though it can be like, well, this is overwhelming, um, it's just do squats, lunges, and hinges, and some Pilates stuff too, and you'll, you'll be fine. 
Um, now, when we get when we that's kind of like just the knee, right? Because if you don't know the knee, it's hard to talk about a condition of the knee, right? Because it's a condition of the knee. So it's a little bit about the knee. We have two joints, right? And we're talking about the patellofemoral joint, and um, there's a bunch of muscles that cross the knee. So it's going to be um, strengthen the leg. It's going to be a good thing. There is actually this study is one of the coolest studies like I've ever come across. Um, it's called conscious neurosensory mapping of the internal structures of the human knee without intraarticular anesthesia. So this is a, um, I want to say it was a researcher or an anesthesiologist, one of those. Um, and what he did, okay, he went, he had um, one of his colleagues, okay, one of his colleagues went into his knee without any anesthesia. Okay, they went into the knee and they were just poking shit. Okay, so they went in with a scope into the knee and they poked on shit. And the reason why they did was they wanted to see what structures of the knee were the most sensitive. Could you imagine that? Hey, let me go inside your knee joint and poke on your ACL. Let's see if it hurts. Okay, this is dedication to science. I will never do this. I'm not that dedicated. I'm not dedicated. I'm just not that dedicated. But I encourage you to sign up for the next study for this because I think they're really interesting. So what they found actually was like when they went when they went around and they started poking on things, right? They poked on like the medial and lateral menisci. Right? That's menisci is plural for meniscus. Um, they poked on those. They post on your ACL and your uh, PCL. Those are major ligaments um, in your knee. That's the anterior cruciate ligament and posterior cruciate ligament. Um, those actually only had like moderate pain, right? It was like, if you just think about something that's like moderately painful, someone went inside this person's knee and poked the ligament, poked the freaking ligament and like, like pressure on the menisci. That's moderately painful. Okay. Pretty crazy. Then the things that were more painful are actually things that we don't really think about too much in Pilates, okay? which were like the, um, the lateral and medial retinaculum. Those are like, like, those are like connective tissue on the side of the knee. You think of it like a spider web. Uh, that's how I kind of like to think of it. It's, it acts like a ligament. Um, then you have like your superior synovial membrane. Those had significant pain. Okay. So that a membrane, it's, you can think of it again as like just like connective tissue. It's non-contractile tissue. But the things that were actually very painful, like severe pain, they almost stopped the study. They actually, it was so painful that they realized they didn't need to do the other knee because they were going to compare both knees. And after this, they were like, no, I'm not doing the other one. Okay. Uh, which I don't blame them. I kind of wanted to be a fly on the wall for the study just to like see these people doing this. But it was the fat pad. Okay, the fat pad region, okay, and, and the anterior synovium, those were the most, um, those are known to be in, very innervated, meaning that they have a lot of uh, neural tissue, like nerves and stuff that feel pain. And those were the most painful, painful parts um, of this condition, or of the, of the knee, not the condition, of just the knee. And the reason why I bring this up is that anterior knee pain Okay, or uh, oh, I did it, darn it. Runner's knee. Runner's knee is a non-specific condition. And what non-specific means is that we cannot specify what tissue is 
um, impaired? What tissue is damaged? If there's tissue damage, we just know like it hurts like hell, right? And it hurts kind of sort of around here, but we can't specify the tissue, right? And so that doesn't mean that we don't know anything, right? That like it's so easy to be like, oh, those dumb physios, they don't even know what's going on, right? No, like that's not true. I mean, it's true, but it's not true, right? Let me explain that. So there's a lot that is known, and then it's acknowledgement of the unknown. So this is what's called a diagnosis of, ex of exclusion, which means you've excluded everything that is known. And that, and that is known information. For example, we are confident that this is not a lumbar radiculopathy. So maybe you've screened the lumbar spine, right? And we we're confident that it's not coming from there. We are confident that it is not that that it's nothing neurological, right? We're confident there. We've screened. We we've done our history and our screening. Uh, this is outside of the scope of Pilates, but I just want to. But I think it's really helpful to understand. Um, you know, we know that's not neurological. So we're, we're confident that, that there's a musculoskeletal component. And that's really key because we've also ruled out red flags, right? We don't think it's like a sign of cancer. We don't think it's a fracture. Uh, we don't think it's cataquina. We don't, you know, we, we don't, you know, think it's anything sinister. Okay. Meaning it's in our scope of practice. Okay. But we're trying to narrow down, like, how can I specifically help you? Um, whether it be um, physical therapy or uh, Pilates. So, so we know it's not like we're confident it's not neurological. We're conf we've ruled out red flags, right? So we're confident it's in our scope um, that are appropriate for this kind of care. Then you kind of go into other things like was there a mechanism of injury, meaning was like did you fall, kind of thing. Because um, then that would be like oh maybe there's a trauma, like a trauma induced injury. Did you tear a meniscus? Did you tear an MCL and LCL, a PCL and ACL? Right, so you rule those out. Is it patellar tendinopathy? You see how you see how there's like this whole thought process of like we can figure out a patellar tendinopathy, right? And like not easy, right? Not easy, but you you like that's in our scope. We can figure out if it's a strain of like a muscular strain, like a hamstring strain or quadriceps strain, a tear. Um, and, and all of these are coming back negative. It doesn't present like osteoarthritis. Like a lot of times, these are like these could be like teenage females. Right, like it's highly unlikely that you have like knee OA when you're seven when you're a 17 year old female volleyball player. Right, highly unlikely. So you're kind of like ruling that out a lot of times just by the population. Um, even though anterior knee pain it's common, it's more common in females than males, by the way. Um, and then it, it has this like weird age gap. Um, so the the prevalence is like fucking all over the map. It's frustrating to look at. <laughs> Anywhere between like 17 and like 72, something like that. It was like almost pointless to look at. But the populations that are mostly affected are, are females, um, and they tend to be more active females. Not always, but generally more active. And the age range is like like adolescence, right? Like so, maybe like twelve to nineteen. I might be off by a year or two. I'm doing this off the top of my head. And then you jump into like the fifties, right? It's like between fifty and sixty, right? Like 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 like, like kind of like a postmenopausal, perimenopausal, postmenopausal period of life, and they tend to be more active, okay? and they're generally female. Um, so, so that's, that's just like who, who is more likely to have, um, have this going on.
so in that population where it's like, oh, you're like a 50 to 60 year old, um, let's just say postmenopausal uh, female, then you kind of look at like, oh, maybe osteoarthritis population or is a pop is a possibility, but they rule that out. So what we're left with is a nonspecific condition that you're presenting with these certain signs and symptoms okay, that are consistent with anterior knee pain. And we've ruled everything out that, we, that we're confident it's not these other things. So even though we don't know the specific tissue, right, there is confidence in terms of what's going on, but there's also no confidence in what specific tissue. But that's where that study was really interesting, right? It's like, well, it's super painful. Well, what's super painful in the knee? A fat pad. Like there's no, there's no like feet and straps variations. That's like, ooh, this is gonna calm down the fat pad of your knee. No, that's not, that's not the case, right? This is a pain condition. Okay? And whenever you're working with a pain condition, you, we need to know the definition of pain. Okay, I've taught the diploma of clinical Pilates for enough years now where I have the, the definition of pain memorized. I don't know if that's healthy or not. It's from the International Association for the Study of Pain. Okay, super cool website, check it out. Um, the definition of pain, okay, just in general, straight from the International um, Association for the Study of Pain is that pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience that is associated with or resembling that associated with actual or potential tissue damage. And this is a pain condition, right? So yes, it's called runner's knee with, it's like a layman's terms, uh, um, uh, terminology, but it's also called patellofemoral pain, patellofemoral pain syndrome, anterior knee pain. And when you have words like that, let's just say anterior knee pain, right? But the same formula works for all three of those. What, what pain conditions tend to give you in the name, right? And this will help simplify complicated stuff, right? If you get googly eyed, like anterior knee pain, it gives you a location. The name is just a location and a symptom. It tells you nothing else. <laughs> it just says it hurts there. That's literally what it means. Anterior knee pain. It means you're having an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience that is associated with or resembling that associated with actual or potential tissue damage in the front of your knee. That's what that means. Patellofemoral pain syndrome, right? Same thing. Patellofemoral pain, same thing. Now, where it gets a little bit more specific than just anterior knee pain is that the diagnostic criteria, meaning the criteria to say like, hey, we think this is patellofemoral pain, is that you have what's called retro or peripatellar pain. And what that is, okay, what that is, is a retro patellar means like behind, okay, behind the patella, right? So like, like you can't poke that, right? unless you're doing that freaking study, they probably did. But like, um, you can't poke that, like, like someone's just going to describe it. And they're going to say, oh, it feels like it's right behind my kneecap or something like that. Um, and then a uh, peripatellar means like around the knee. Now it's not our job to diagnose, right? But it is super helpful to be familiar with diagnostic criteria. So if someone says they have runner's knee, right? It should be consistent with these symptoms. Like, did you diagnose yourself on Google while you were having a glass of wine, Tan? Like, <laughs> like, is that why you're saying you have runner's knee? Um, or, or did you go through the healthcare system working with an evidence-based physio 
and went through all this, all this testing. Two different stories. And they'll both walk in your studio. I've seen them both. Um, but I love, I love all the clients. There's some where it's like, you know, you can't diagnose yourself on Google. Um, but anyways, so, um, so you have retropatellar or peripatellar pain, right? It's either behind or like around the knee, super vague, right? But it's on the front of the knee and it's around the patella. Um, with that, okay, pain gets worse when basically when you're loading it, okay? Which is why Pilates can be awesome because we can manipulate loads so easily. <laughs> Pilates is awesome. Um, so like pain tends to get worse during squatting, stair climbing, and running. You see why this is a problem in someone's life? It hurts when you squat. It hurts when you climb stairs. It hurts when you run, right? It hurts. In other words, like it hurts when you move like forward and back. It hurts when you ascend stairs. And then it hurts every time you get out of a chair, out of a car, right? You're just trying to have dinner. Your knees hurt. Okay. And it oftentimes it hurts while um, people, uh, patients will, our clients will often um, report that it'll feel really stiff or painful when sitting for periods of time right? Like the quantity is not important. Like 20, 30 minutes usually does it. Um, that could be like sitting, uh, you know, on like a subway, sitting on a bus, sitting in a car, um, just or watching a movie, right? Which is why this is also called moviegoers knee. So, you know, you're sitting there and, and just keeping it still is painful, right? That shouldn't be painful for someone. I mean, sometimes like, yeah, we're human. We're just kind of feel stiff, but this is like my knee freaking hurts. I need to get up. This is the person that cannot sit in the middle seat. Um, in a flight, right? Like, like go get your aisle seat so you can get up and like stretch your leg out um, and then also like get up and walk around. Okay? Um, so, so just to summarize that, okay, it hurts around the knee. Okay? Just in like really layman's terms, like it hurts like around and behind the knee. It's more painful when you load it. And we don't know what tissue is really being bothered. Okay, but we do know Okay, we do know that it's it's not all these other things. We've ruled out red flags. Okay, we we've ruled out OA. We know all these other things that aren't sinister, but we can we can be more we can be more confident. Okay. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. My only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five star review. Leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the Pilates industry. I do this 100% for free. I do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast. It is 100% for free. And you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five-star review. Now, with that, like not everyone experiences the like, it hurts when I'm just sitting, right? That's only around like, 50, I think it was 54% of the population. So about half, but almost everyone. Almost everyone reports pain, um, reports pain during like the squatting and the loading activities. So it's like when you bend it and you load it, it hurts. Okay, almost everyone. So that's like very, very prevalent. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that stuff is bad for the knee, right? This is a pain condition. They were not damaging it, but you might piss it off <laughs> if you do that, right? So, so. The, the, the idea with like a rehab and just in general is like you calm it down and you build it up. First, you protect the tissues, then you expose the tissues. So you know what rehab's going to look like at the very end of patellofemoral pain syndrome? Or I'm, damn it, I did it again. A runner's knee, right? You're going to do all the stuff that hurts. Yep. You're going to do squatting, you're going to stair climbing, you're going to do, um, you know, you're going to ask them to go running, right? If, if they're willing to do that. 
Um, cause that's going to, that's going to tell you like, wow, you're, you're feeling a lot better. Yeah. Now there are like, it's so easy. And, you know, I think we're just really trained this way as, as, um, Pilates instructors, well, it's also just healthcare in general, like physio schools, you know, trains us the same way is to really be like very biomechanically minded and biomechanics makes a difference. Right. But it's also important to recognize that sometimes it actually doesn't make a difference. So here are um, from a paper called patellofemoral pain clinical practice guidelines uh, linked to the international classifications of functional dis uh, functioning disability and health from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy of the American Physical Therapy Association um, Journal of Orthopedic Sports Physical Therapy. In other words, uh, clinical practice guidelines for patellofemoral pain syndrome. So a runner's knee. Here are things that are not risk factors. These are not associated with patellofemoral pain. They're not associated with runner's knee. Okay. Someone's body mass index. So that is, so that's called your BMI, right? So that's like the, the ratio between like subcutaneous tissue, fat tissue, um, lean muscle mass, like your height and your, you know, your overall weight. So, so I'm forgetting the formula to my head, but it's, it's a ratio of like different tissues in your body and you get a score, not associated. Your age is not, is not a risk factor, although we do find it to be more prevalent in teenage uh, and postmenopausal women. Your height has nothing to do with it. But then this is also really interesting, right? Because this is where we get more biomechanical. Q angle is not associated so that's like the angle from like your your hip to your knee right it's called your quadriceps i think it's q stands for quadriceps but uh, but anyways it's q angle right so it's, it's just this like angle of like how wide your pelvis where are your knees things like that so if you, so female populations tend to have a greater q angle due to like greater width of of the pelvis um not always but usually so that's actually not associated with patellofemoral pain um, foot pronation, not associated. And neither is, is patellar alignment, right? And that's a big one, right? Because a lot of times it'll be like, oh, your patella is like, you know, laterally tracking, right? So that's why it hurts. And we actually find that people have like lateral tracking and no runner's knee. And then we have people with runner's knee that are not laterally tracking or medially tracking, whatever, um, and things like that. So it just tends not to be associated, but, but we do find other associations. And we find that people with, um, with, P, with, with runner's knee, they have decreased uh, strength in their quadriceps, as well as their hip abductors, external, rotation, external rotators and extensors, meaning the hip, okay? um, like, like the, your butt right? Their, their butt's not as strong, but it, it, then it gets kind of dicey. <laughs> it's dicey because it's actually not, it's like, it's thought to be a, a like the, the hip strengthening tends to, or the hip weakness is thought to be a result of, um, of having runner's knee rather than like a risk factor, right? And, and that's really important with stuff like this is like, is it the chicken or is it the, is it the egg, right? 
And that's how that's like like the huge argument with the transverse abdominis literature. It's like you have like re, you know slower timing with your transverse abdominis. That's why you have low back pain. It's like well, you only measured people with low back pain, right? That's like that's where that shit comes from. It's like well, maybe that's the body being smart and it's the protective mechanism because they have back pain. Because when we measure it with people without back pain, it's all over the map. Okay. So with this, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily that weak hips uh, are a risk factor for developing runner's knee, but people with runner's knee tend to have weaker hips. And I'll be damned. You're telling me that people that probably avoid running, stair climbing, and squatting have weaker hips. Definitely, right? Because the reason why I say they avoid it is it hurts, right? If you have runner's knee, you're probably going to run less. If you have a runner's knee, you're probably like, huh, should I take the elevator, the escalator, or the stairs? Stairs are going to be the least likely one because it hurts, right? In other words, like, do, would I like to be in pain to get to my destination or would I like to not be in pain? I don't want to be in pain. So you're going to not do that, right? You're less likely to choose the stair climber at the gym, things like that. You're less, less, you're less likely to do those kinds of activities, okay? And then uh, guess what the recommendation is, right? For um, for pit, for um, runner's knee, get the leg stronger, okay? Get the leg stronger. But what is important to recognize, okay? What's important to recognize is that people, and this is common with chronic pain, because a lot of times this is a chronic pain condition, because a lot of times they've had this pain for more than three months, okay? This stuff can last a long time. We don't really have a good natural history on patellofemoral pain, but a lot of times they're, they're in it for a long time. Um, they tend to have a lower pain threshold, right? So things are things that are usually not as provocative, okay, are more provocative. And this is actually locally and remotely, meaning at the knee, right, they may have a lower pain threshold, but they also might have a lower pain threshold at somewhere that's not the knee. Okay, because you've been in pain for so freaking long, right? It end, you end up getting more um, more sensitive. Okay? But like I mentioned, like this this does you know hang around for a while. Like more like there's a study called How to Manage Patellofemoral Pain: Understanding Multi the Multifactorial Nature in Treatments. So this was a paper in 2018 that more than 50% report some symptoms um, at five year follow up. Okay, five year follow up. Like that's like that's a bummer. Um, so I'd love to tell you there's like the silver bullet, right? But we don't know what's wrong. We know it hangs around for a while. But but what's important is like recognizing that this is a pain condition. So this so we can't just come at it biomechanically, right? We can't like it's it's that's not how we work with pain conditions, right? Because there are psychosocial factors that are associated with like higher pain and less function. And this is really like not even just with patellofemoral pain, this is just with pain in general. And, but with patellofemoral pain, like specifically, right, from a paper called The Psychological Features of, the, of uh, Patellofemoral Pain, a Systematic Review in 2017, they found that anxiety, depression, pain catastrophizing, and kinesiophobia are all um, associated with uh, higher pain and less function. Um, and what that means is that like, like this pain condition is more than just 
like tissue, right? Where pain comes from the brain, no brain, no pain. It doesn't mean that everything is just in your head, <laughs> not at all, right? Like it's like it hurts in the knee, right? But the, but we can come at it from multiple angles. So something such as like kinesiophobia, right? People like it, it's really common to associate pain with damage. And then if you feel pain, you feel like you're damaging your knee and you're afraid to move because you're afraid to damage your knee. You're only going to get worse. Oh, you see how that ties in the pain catastrophizing, right? You're afraid to move. You're afraid to move. And then you're catastrophizing it because if I move and I get hurt, I'm going to hurt it more. And then it's always going to get worse. It's always going to get worse. It's always going to get worse. But then an evidence-based Pilates instructor like yourself, right, who listens to this podcast, who maybe is a part of the VIP membership, who studies, you know, other evidence-based sources, you know, you, you can go ahead and make a difference by one, listening to their story, and then sprinkling in just a little bit of pain science, like here and there. For example, in patellofemoral pain, okay, we know that it's nothing sinister, right? We've ruled out all the bad stuff, okay? We've ruled out any ligamentous damage, okay? We've ruled out any muscular damage. Like it's safe. It's safe to strengthen the leg, but we do need to manage pain. And this is a really, this, this is a sensitive knee, right? And then you can, you can tell, you can, you can provide like a sense of social support, which can help reduce anxiety and depressive symptoms and let them know that you're going to work together as a team, right? And that they're in charge and that you're there as a teammate and to work with them and, and to help desensitize the knee and get it stronger. Okay, so then, and then you tie it into something that's help, that's like uh, meaningful to them. So they can travel again. So they can go to the kids' soccer game or they can practice. Maybe they're a coach, right? Um, so you can get back on the field and things like that. And that's where understanding guideline-based care is really helpful. Okay? Guideline-based care. There's a little bit of, it, it's, it's quite broad because you, you can't be specific. Like it's a non-specific condition, right? And that's always a red flag. Whenever, you, whenever there's a non-specific condition and you're giving super specific protocols, like how can you be specific when you don't know specifically what's wrong? So non-specifically, get, get this, hashtag science, um, strengthen the hip and the knee. Whoa, right? The knee hurts. We'll get it stronger. Right? Um, that's what it kind of boils down to. But however, you're working with a pain condition and a lot of times you can't strengthen the knee. You want to know why? Because it hurts. Everything, you ever worked with that client where it's like, like they come in with a thing and like it could be a shoulder, a neck, a back, whatever. And you try the exercises and like everything hurts it. <laughs> and you, you can only do that so many times in a session with that before it's just like flared up and they're like in pain for a couple of days, right? So guideline-based care does suggest to strengthen the hip first under the assumption that you cannot strengthen the knee, right? So if doing like squats, because that's the thing that hurts, right? Or knee extensions, or it's too triggering. Like your limit, you can't strengthen the leg because you're limited by the pain. We have to get the pain to come down. But as the pain is coming down, we can strengthen the hip. And strengthening the hip, the, like the hip and the knee does have integration right? Tons of integration, your hamstrings, right? Your hamstrings, your glutes, your TFL, uh, you know, like that all crosses the hip, even your rectus, like, like your rectus uh, femoris, that's one of your quadriceps. There's tons of hip stuff you can do to help out the knee. So you, so you strengthen the hip, 
than the knee. Then there's like um, symptom, what I would call symptom modifiers. Symptom modifiers are just like, you're having a symptom, so let's make a change and then hopefully your symptom will go down. And these, again, these are just like nonspecific and they're just trying to change the forces um, on the knee. You know, that would be a hypothesis. One of those would be like patellar taping, okay? And it doesn't have to be really specific. There isn't strong evidence on the specificity on like kinesio taping for the patella. Um, but taping has been shown to provide some short-term uh, pain relief. So if your client, um, you know, is, is getting taping done, like I wouldn't judge it. It's guideline-based care. I would just be cautious of any like specific tissue thing. Like, oh, I'm out of alignment. So therefore this tape is putting me back in alignment. That's a load of shit. Uh, that's not evidence, sorry. So that's that's non-evidence-based information. That's more sophisticated, right? So like, it's just, it's not true. Um, but uh, but with that, it is help, you know, it is reducing pain, which is important. But remember that pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with or resembling that associated with actual or potential tissue damage. It may not even be associated with tissue damage. And maybe it's the freaking fat pad that is sensitive, okay? We're not moving the fat pad. Um, but anyways, uh, with that, you can also get like, um, it's short term, right? So, so I believe the guidelines say no more than six weeks, but uh, if nothing's working, right? And your client kind of comes in and they haven't tried like a foot orthoses, they can, you can get, um, you can get a, a, um, a prefabricated foot orthoses. Prefabricated means like you're standing in line at the local grocery store and there's a foot orthoses right next to the candy and the gum. You can grab one of those and put them in your shoe. You do, but um, there's no difference between those ones and the $500 ones that you go to like the physio clinic and, and get them done for you. It doesn't make a difference for this. And this is more particular if they're having like excessive pronation. Um, but it's worth a shot, right? If you can spend $7 and like get someone, someone out of some pain for like a month, that is $7 well spent. Now, the last, the last like um, symptom modifier that I, I would recommend that's a consistent with guideline-based care is if someone's running, like they're just one of those people that are like, I'm going to run, right? And you're, there's like no stopping them. They're going to freaking run, whether if you agree with it or not. You know, you know who you are. Um, with that, for that person, Right. And they're having run like runner's knee and it's getting worse and things like that. You can uh, try to do like some gait training. And I'm not talking about like break down like every part of their gait and things like that, because that's a real challenge. One, to do that accurately. And then two, for to like have them like, buy into it. And then three, for them to actually do it correctly. Um, what this would be would be like you can change the cadence of their running. Right. Um, so, so you can have them run like, like doing some quicker steps, right? Uh, things like that. So you can change the cadence. You can also change them, change, um, from going from a heel strike to a forefoot strike. Okay. These are things that are like, like, that's like hard to do and there's cost benefits. So that's like the last thing I would do. Like I got nothing else, right? You know, orthoses didn't work. Like taping's not working. Da, 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 da. This is like last straw. And the reason for that is like, it's hard for, it's like, it's challenging to change that motor skill. And then also when you four foot strike, holy shit, that's hard on your calves, right? So you might end up with like an Achilles tendinopathy now and like, oh good, now your Achilles hurts. Doesn't your knee feel better? Yeah. So let's try to avoid that. Uh, but if you did, right, and they went to four foot strike from a heel strike, 
then you need to reduce your running volume a lot, right? Like, like do like 10% like the first week and see if that feels okay. Then add, then uh, gradually build on it. But that's like more just like professional advice that you would provide stuff you do in the studio. Okay. We're so freaking good at adjusting load in Pilates. And then we're even better when we understand the load. Right. And so weight bearing exercises are really provocative for this population. And so we're so freaking good at taking people off their feet, laying them on their back and loading it. So do all of your Pilates stuff, right? Do it. Right. But understand that it's limiting. Right. You got to get people upright eventually. You got to get this person squatting. You got to get you got to get them stair climbing, like step on a box, step off a box, things like that. But it's not going to happen at first. But what can happen at first is like, you know, like have you ever heard of those sideline legs or stuff like side splits, things like that, that are um, not as knee provoking, but strengthen the hip. Right. Doing some like glute bridges may or may not work out uh, depending on their sensitivity. Okay, but I'm like, my head goes like, well, I totally do some sideline legs with this person. I'm definitely doing some like glute max training, right? Which can be more challenging, right? Because like, like sideline legs isn't glute maximum, maximus. That's like glute medius and like deep rotators, glute minimus, stuff like that. It'll burn your side butt, but not the butt butt, right? So like for butt butt stuff. You know, you we got to do something different, which is more challenging to do when we're not really loaded. But I, I'm thinking more like the bridges, but going on to single leg, if they can. When you go on to single leg bridge, I know this is hard to talk about. Like, you know, it's so much easier if I were just like physically demonstrating this in a workshop, right? Which is, by the way, I have a workshop on this in the VIP membership. So we go over specific exercises that are like super helpful. Um, and it's it's 100% included in the membership. There's like the membership doesn't have like, Get your membership. And then when you're in the membership for uh, this workshop, you can buy this for $19.99. No, like you pay one fee, you get all the workshops. And like I have this workshop in there. Um, so it's like three hours with stuff on this. So for that, you we want to do stuff that is like a hip extension, right? Hip extension and maybe some external rotation if you can, or like a balance challenge is, is helpful, like for gluteal activation. So doing things like a single leg bridge is a great example of that. So like one legged bridge, you're lying on the reformer, you have one foot on the foot bar, the spring is like kind of kind of light, you know, in that regards, depending on their pain tolerance. But the thing you have to be mind mindful of with this person is that the knee is sensitive. So if you peg them in too much on this one, I'm a huge advocate for like peg people in. But when they're sensitive, if you peg them in too much, you're gonna put you you're going to increase the you're gonna increase the tension on the patellofemoral joint, which could increase the sensitivity, and now you're blocked by pain again. So that's where there's a skill in applying the simple knowledge of like, how can we bias the hip without triggering the knee? But as Pilates instructors, we are really freaking good at manipulating load, okay? So when we're working with PFP, okay, in the Pilates studio, we are looking to get the leg stronger, right? But it's okay if the knee pain is a blocker. Okay, that is normal at first. And so we're going to strengthen the hip. But what is really important in terms of us and manipulating the load is recognizing that like, we also need to get glute max. Okay, just because we're getting a butt burn doesn't mean it's glute max. Um, because if we're going to look to strengthen the hip, we should strengthen some of the larger muscles there. And like the glute max is freaking huge. 
Uh, so we do want to do more stuff than just side lying. Okay? Um, but side lying, like absolutely do that. We just also want to figure out ways that are not so triggering um, on the knee itself and we can strengthen the hip. But as the pain comes down around the knee, definitely strengthen the knee, otherwise known as strengthen the entire leg. And with that, I hope this, uh, this podcast has been informative uh, for you on how to work with individuals with really nonspecific knee pain known as runner's knee, as well as a host of other names. At the end of the day, um, you know, keep your rehab uh, kind of exercises or when you're helping someone, you know, restore function in their body, it is okay to keep things uh, simple. And, and sometimes it's okay to not know because science doesn't uh, necessarily know. And with the case of runner's knee, we don't know exactly what's going on, but we have ruled out a bunch of other sinister things. And it is safe to get these people stronger. We just want to work with the human, not just the body part. And this human is going through a pain experience, but we can get them stronger and support them along the way. And um, with that, if you would love this, okay, you will love the uh, anterior knee pain workshop in the VIP membership. There's a host of other workshops in there. There's a whole workshop library, okay, that is included in the membership. You can actually take the workshop for free right now uh, by using the link in the show notes. And if it's not for you, you can cancel and you won't spend a penny. And if you love it, you can go ahead and keep it for less than the cost of a single Pilates class. With that, have an incredible rest of your day.